So this morning we're going to be looking at um, Isaiah, and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 2 and the first, um, the first four verses, and hopefully it comes uh, across. Um, so the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, this is what the son of Lord, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised among the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isn't that very powerful, isn't it? Incredible. Isaiah was an incredible prophet of God. He wasn't just an ordinary man. He, He would have been most likely related to the royal family of Judah and um, Benjamin. And um, so he had a very important position, very, very important role in the, the royal household within the temple, a significant person who would speak for God, and God raised them up to speak for him. Isaiah prophesied around the time of around 720, 740. We don't know quite what time he started, maybe about 740, 740 BC. And um, he just witnessed the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. After King Solomon died, the two nations of Israel, the nation of Israel was split into two, the northern kingdoms of ten twelve tribes, and um, southern kingdom of two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And um, God had appointed that Jerusalem was the place that the people had to worship God. And so there was a real divide, real division between these two nations. But Isaiah would have saw the fall of the northern nation that the Assyrians came down and they captured um, the northern nation of Israel and it was wiped out, it was devastated, it was destroyed. God brought many warnings and judgments and prophets to speak against this northern kingdom that they should return to God but they didn't repent. They became more wicked and more evil and God finally brought his judgment and God brought his judgment in full. The people, they were taken, completely taken out of the land. The Assyrians came into the land and they deported most of the people of the Jews of the northern kingdom out into different nations and different places and brought foreigners and other people in to look after the land. And there was only a small amount of, of Jewish people left to tend farms and do things. The good thing about that was when all these people came, they didn't worship God anymore, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And actually the Assyrians are the real problem because 
Um, as the people in the northern kingdom were there, um, the people who were in kept on getting attacked by lions and getting killed and terrible things were happening to them and curses were coming upon them. So the Assyrians were saying, can we find a prophet of God? Can we find a priest of God? Can we start to worship their God again? So that these calamities might not stop against us. And there's a recognition of that the God, even though that, that land was vanquished, that God was still there and actually God should still be worshipped. And the Assyrians were thinking, we must honour this God in this place. But in the southern kingdom, Isaiah starts to warn them and say, your fate is coming. If you don't turn back to God, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be wiped out. You're going to be taken into captivity. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take you into captivity. Repent, turn back to God. And so he comes with this, this, this um, narrative of judgment against the, the people of Jerusalem. And some people listen, some people don't. Some people turn back to God, they have good kings, bad kings. Um, But Isaiah, he also brings a message of hope. His book split into two parts. One which is judgment, which is just, you know, turn back, repent or burn or be destroyed. (laughs) Come back to God. And the second half of the book is about hope. That even in the midst of destruction, in hurt, in pain, in devastation, there is hope that God wants to rebuild the nation of Israel, that God wants to be there and be present amongst them, that God wants to restore them and bring them hope, that God wants to bring them joy, that they may worship God again, they may rejoice and live and be his people and know his ways and honour him, that God himself will come and walk amongst them and he will be, they will be his people. That's incredible, isn't it? That God says... You know, even though you've turned away from me and don't worship me anymore, I still have hope for you. I still have blessing for you. I still want to do incredible things amongst you. And so we come to that point and we think, what hope do I have in my life? What God can do in my life? God says there's always hope. Where God is present, where God is there, where God can touch and heal lives, where God is there, there is hope. So it doesn't matter where you are, your circumstances, your situations, where you feel in your heart, where you get despair or joy or hope or or loss or whatever. God says there is hope where I am present. There is restoration and peace. And so when we get to this second chapter, this is a little bit of light, a little bit of hope. And it talks about of um, Isaiah sees the presence of, of God coming down onto the mount in Jerusalem. And Isaiah, he's a person who's had an incredible encounter with God, an incredible experience with God. In chapter 6, we hear about Isaiah's vision in the temple, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet. And the two they flew and were called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on his threshold shook at the voice of those who called and the house filled with smoke. 
And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to this people. Wow. So Isaiah, he's had this incredible vision of God's glory that he's recognized before God his unworthiness, how he can't do it, how he's an unclean man with unclean lips along a people, a nation of unclean lips. Yet God's saying, who will go for me? Who will do it for me? Who will go and speak this message for me? He says, here I am, Lord. Send me, isn't that great? What a man, isn't it? How many of us have pictures or a vision or God spoke to us and, and we just walk away and go, oh, that was nice. Isaiah wasn't that man. He had that vision. He had that picture and said, here I am, Lord. Whatever you need done, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, Lord. If you need me to speak, I will speak. And so therefore he starts to proclaim this message of judgment and of hope upon the people of Israel. And he said... In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. He's talking about the glory of the Lord coming and ascending on the earth. I'm sure he's talking about the temple mount where the temple is, was in Israel and that God's glory will turn there and that God's presence will be there. And that when God's presence is there, there'll be transformation and change and significance. You see, where God's presence is on the earth, where God's glory comes down, people are drawn to it. They may not want to be, but they're drawn to it. <laughs> you cannot be not drawn to who God is. And it says when his presence, when his glory comes down and he is upon the earth and God's rule and God's government and God's purpose is there. Then it says all the, um, the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. Wow. So he's saying, yeah, it's difficult, it's challenging, but when the glory of God comes down, when God comes to rule and reign on earth, everything's going to be changed. The nations are going to see the glory, they're going to see who God is and what he has done and who he is and his love for us. And the nations are like streams, like streams are going to flow to him from all places, going to stream to God's presence, to God's glory, to who he is. They say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go where God is. Where's God? Is God with us? Are you sure? Definitely. And God is here, isn't he? God's presence is here. God's glory is here. He dwells among us and within us. 
And there's something significant about that presence and glory, that power of God, which draws people to him. And so the nations are drawn to God, drawn to his presence, drawn to his glory. And when they say, come let us go up the mountain of the Lord, because there's something about going up the mountain of the Lord which transforms you. Because as you go up the mountain, you, you experience more of his glory, more of his presence, more of who he is. And when you go up t- towards his glory and who he is, you've got to become purer, haven't you? You've got to be transformed. You've got to be changed. You've got to start to have that, that pure heart and clean hands because you're actually you're experiencing the Almighty God and His presence and who He is and you realize you cannot be the same. That if you go closer to Him, you realize you want to be more like Him. And you want to be transformed from glory to glory into who He is. It says in... Psalm 24, Who shall climb the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The one with, a, with clean hands and a pure heart. And so as you ascend that mountain of the Lord, as you go into his glory and his presence, there's a sense of having pure hearts and clean hands. And it says, let us go up that mountain that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction for the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's a sense as we, we enter into God's presence and glory, as we see his lordship, his majesty of who he is, that we want to learn his ways. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to be in his presence daily? What does it mean to read his word? What does it mean to be intimate in prayer? What does it mean to say, God, I want to come closer to you. God, I want to experience you on earth like it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your rule be done. Let me walk in your righteousness that I might walk in love and peace and hope and kindness and self-control and joy, that I might rejoice even in the most difficult circumstances, that my character might be transformed and changed to represent you and who you are, that as I go from your glory that nations will be drawn to you. Imagine that. And as we pray and as we go on our knees, and seek God as we worship Him, as we give Him more of our lives, as we ascend that hill, as we say, Lord, purify my heart more, clean my hands more, transform me and change me, Lord. Make me more like Jesus Christ, Lord. Bring Your glory, bring Your presence. Lord, I want to be more and more in prayer with You, Lord. I want to know more of Your Word, God. I want to know more of Your ways. Teach me Your ways. Show me Your ways. Let me walk in Your righteousness and joy, Lord. Was that not Moses' experience? When he was talking to God, he said, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence, God. And he says, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Is that what you say to God? You say to God every day, teach me your ways. 
We need to learn these ways, don't we? As we go in His presence, there has to be a desire in our hearts to learn the ways of God. There's got to be a discipline and a desire to say, I need you more, I need to know you more, I need to be going up this hill, I need to go up this mountain, I need to seek your presence, I need to be transformed, I need to change. I want to see our world transformed, I want to see the nations drawn to you, Father, I want to see salvation after salvation, I want to see soul after soul. I'm tired of going to work and see my friends who are lost in Christ, who are lost in sin and don't have Christ. I'm tired of family and friends who are lost in Christ. Teach me your ways. Bring me more into intimacy with you. Give me a vision like Isaiah. Let me know who you are. Teach me your ways that I may walk in them and that people may draw to you, that nations will be drawn to you, that through LMC nations will be drawn to Christ. Amen. And when, we, when God comes down, we say in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that, we're asking that God's government, God's rule, God's purposes, God's plan will happen on earth, isn't it? We want to see heaven rule on earth. We want to see, when we say we want to see heaven rule on earth, we say we want to see God reign. God's justice, God's hope, God's love within our world. God, you reign. And so we are sort of looking at the moment, aren't we, through, I don't know about you, looking at the news and looking at what's happening in our politics and looking at manifestos, looking at grey books and looking at costings and looking at austerity or prosperity or, or blessing or people who just don't know what to do or referendums or no referendums and exit Europe and stay in Europe and go in Europe who knows what to do who knows what to do the politicians don't even know what to do sorry <laughs> we don't but there's one thing that the politicians are all saying about our country isn't it things need to change things need to change in our country And as I read every manifesto, every government, the Labour, Lib Dems, Conservatives, Brexit, I don't know, a big one, but <laughs> whatever you name, every party has got a manifesto of how they're going to rule and reign and proclaim and move this country into something that's good. And they're trying to get you to read their manifesto that you might say, that, that's a party that represents how I think this country should go. This is a party which represents the path that we should go and that we should walk in. This is going to bring transformation and change. Do you know what? This is God's manifesto. He said, when God says, when my presence comes, my glory comes, learn my ways. Learn who I am and live in it and move in it and bring transformation. Bring who I am to the world. And that will change situations. Our country's living off the inheritance of people who love God and serve God and brought transformation. And the further we move away from God, we try and we're losing our foundations and wondering how we get them back. Why is our country the way it is? Because we moved away from God. 
in his rule, in his reign, in his word, in his foundation, his values, his purpose, his humanity. And so, Christians, this is our manifesto, the word of God. And God teaches us his way, his hope, his desire. And God says, you know, when my glory comes, I'm going to bring peace to the nations. I'm going to be that mediator, that aberrator, that person who comes and says, let's have peace. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their plowshares, their swords into plowshares and their spears into brunehooks. Nations will not take up a sword against Nations, isn't that amazing? That when people and the nations flood to God and when the nations decide to take this as their manifesto, his holy word, as nations decide to say, I want to have a pure heart and clean hands, I want to walk in the ways of God and his righteousness, I want to transform who I am, and I want to declare God's glory, then it says transformation takes peace comes on the earth that as people who walk in God's ways and purpose who want to see God's glory come we have a desire to see peace on earth haven't we we have a desire to see no more wars to see any more people hurt by violence or pain or rape or despair we want to see God's joy and that's the hope that God's given God says you know we may not barely stop it now but there's a day coming when it will be ended when God will come and say no more no more I will reign I will, I will bring my glory and my presence and all will be restored and all who are hurt will be healed and all who have been downtrodden will be lifted up and all who have been broken will be healed and the mighty will be raised down. And so our God says he's bringing peace to the nations. You know, people need peace, people need hope, they need restoration. I remember there's a story by um, there's a little lady in Glasgow called May Nicholson, and she was a drug addict, and she, she found Jesus, and then she started helping other people who were drug addiction, poverty, heart and pain. And she started up a little house that she had where people could come just from her community, and they came to her house, and she prayed for them and helped them and, and helped them through addictions and and poverty and all the things. And um, one day there was a lady named Teresa. <clears throat> and Teresa, um, she was somebody who was really difficult life, really challenging life. And, and she managed to get a, a council flat in Glasgow, which you may not think is a great achievement, but for a lot of people that's a, a great achievement. And, and she was happy and she cleaned the, she cleaned the house and she cleaned her, her they've got um, the communal areas and she had the, the best communal area in Glasgow. She said it was so clean and flowers and, and beautiful and, and smelled nice, but she developed OCD. And she said, I went mental and crazy about cleaning her, her apartment and, and making it nice. And then she met this partner and then cause her partner got a bit fed up with her being a bit OCD and a bit kind of hyper and intensive. And she used to roll up her own cigarettes, but her partner said, look, I'm going to roll up your cigarettes. And he started putting heroin in her cigarettes. And she started smoking and she became less OCD, cleaned less and done, but was much happier. And 
then one, one day she ran out of these cigarettes and she phoned up her partner and said, what's going on? She said, I feel really edgy. I feel like I, I can't, can't cope anymore. I, I, I feel like I need a cigarette. Where is it? Give me a cigarette. I, I, I'm, I'm so on edge. Just, just give me. And he said, she said why, why am I feeling this way? And he said, oh, look, I, I've got to be honest with you. I've been putting heroin in your, your roll-ups and, and you just need a little bit more just to bring you down and calm you down. And then, so she had some more and, and she became addicted to heroin and all her drugs and all her things to her life went down a spiral. She had two, two children. You know, their children were taken in and out of care. Her life was in despair. Then, you know, her, her kids went to live with her grandmother. Her life was totally broken and destroyed. She was in a mess living a, from being OCD to a beautiful clean house to a house covered in just in human waste and rubbish and, and, and despair. And then her, her daughter got pregnant when she was 16. And then her daughter died giving birth to a child. And then she became a mum, a grandmother, looking after baby Sean when she was a drug addict and heroin, methadone, you name it. She was on everything looking after a baby. And he was like, how can I do this? How can I look after this baby? How can I do this? And she cried out to God. She said, God, if you're there, give me strength. Help me to look after this child. Help me to do something that I can make a difference. And then, just before her daughter died, her, 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 after her daughter died, her other daughter and her friend got in a fight outside her house. And her partner went down and he, he, he got involved. And the people who were fighting with his daughter beat up her partner so bad that he got brain damage. And he was brain damaged and, and slurred, lost his memory. And then after, after, after about a year, he died. And she'd lost a daughter. She'd lost her, her husband. She'd, everything was in despair. And, and then she got, when after her daughter died, she got compensation for the hospital, £140,000. That £140,000 lasted six months. She had parties every night in her house. She said, why would give somebody give me £140,000? She, she bought presents for her friends, drugs for her friends, and every night of the week she had drug parties. Every night of the week that she spent, so spent £138,000 on drugs and parties in six months. Can you imagine? And she had £2,000 left, and she decided, I'm going to take my family on a holiday to Benidorm. And she went to Benidorm. Now she was sitting in Benidorm, and she was there. Um, this man who was a Christian, he said, he said, I don't usually do this, but God's prompted me to come and speak to you. And he said, he's told me that your life is really difficult, but he wants to bring hope. He wants to bring transformation. And God says, he has something for you to change you, your life. And she said, look, I'm just not in a place to talk about Bible and religion and, and God. I don't want to talk about that. I said, no, I want to tell you something. There's, she said, he said, God's told me that where you live, there's a lady who can help you. Her name's Mae Nicholson. And when you go back to Glasgow, I want you to go and visit her. And she went back to Glasgow and she forgot about it. And then six months later, somebody, she was really desperate. She needed food. She needed help. She needed to look after her kids. And she went to this and she, somebody said, oh, you need to go and see this lady, Mae Nicholson. She'll help you. And she went to her house 
And we just showed her love and hugged her and welcomed her and said, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need? And she says, I don't have a lot, but I can give you £10 to go and buy some food for your family. And £10 a drug addict, you'd expect her to go and spend it on drugs, but she left that house where the presence of God was, where God was working, where people were praying, where people were praying for her and seeking for her and desiring a change. And she left and she went and bought fish and chips for her family. Wow. That may not sound much, but when you're a drug addict and somebody gives you £10, you're not going to buy fish and chips for your family. And she went and bought fish and chips for her family. And after that day, she never took drugs again. She went to her doctor and said, I don't need my methadone prescription anymore. I don't need heroin. I don't need any more. And she kept going back to that house every day, every day, until God transformed her and changed her and knew her. And out of despair, he brought hope. He brought joy. He brought love to the point where she's now ministering to people and bringing them out of addiction and hopelessness and despair. That's what our God can do. Amen. That's the power that we experience. That, that's the power that is within us. That's when the glory of God comes down. He turns it round. He changes it. He transforms it. There is hope. There is not loss. Whatever despair has been there, God will restore hope and joy tenfold. God says, I will teach you my ways. I'll give you a clean heart and pure hands that will transform your situations, bring you out of addiction, bring you out of hopelessness. This is our God who transforms nations and people and lives. And we worship him and glorify his holy name. And John 1 says, God has spoken through his Son, the true light that gives light was coming into the world. He was in the world and he was in the word and through the word was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he's the God who turns drug addiction into a life full of hope. I've got some pictures just to finish. Hopefully I've got a PowerPoint slide there. Um, we say the, the knife angel. Pictures which try to say where there's despair, where there's violence, where there's knife crime, that the hope that a symbol like this can make people think and say, how do we change that violence into hope, into something that talks about God's glory and transform knife crime in our cities? There's another one. This one comes from Mexico, and it's where people in a community have taken guns that were used for gangsters and drug crimes and all the things. They melted the guns down and asked people for them, melted them down and turned them into spades. <laughs> And so rather than being guns now, they are now shovels. And now with each shovel they get, everybody takes a shovel, digs in the ground and plants a tree. That now something was used for hurt and pain in a community is now used for hope and a purpose and for usefulness. And God can transform. And through that project, that community has been transformed as people give up their guns and their weapons and start to build their community. And the last one, 
They can't see it so well, but this one's all guns and weapons, the big cube, and it's all full of guns that are being used for crime. And to bring awareness to our nation and our country that you know, we cannot continue with violence and pain and heart. There needs to be transformation, doesn't there? Our cities can't carry on the way they are with knife crimes and drugs and addiction. We need to see transformation. But who's the God who brings transformation? It's our God, isn't it? It's Yahweh when his glory comes down, when his presence has come down. He says, I'll teach you my ways so you can bring transformation and hope to this country, to this nation, to this city, that people will be drawn to me and transformation will come. And what was causing despair and violence, swords, guns, Weapons can become things that are used to bring hope to our world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to reveal your glory and your presence to us. Lord, we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us, Lord. Lord, that you have... Before you brought judgment, you have sent us our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us hope, to live in us, renew us, restore us, and heal us, and to, that, to teach us your ways. Lord, that we might go to all the nations, to everyone who needs to know you, and, and teach them your good news, baptize them, and teach them how to be your disciples. So Lord, use us and shape us, Lord. Help us to have an experience of you like Isaiah had, Lord, that we can only say, here I am. Use me. And so, Father, we we stand here saying, here we are. Use us as a people and a community to go to places where there's despair and bring hope. For that's what Jesus offers, the greatest hope of all, transformation through the power of his Holy Spirit. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.